Hi, and welcome to Hyperfixations, the podcast where we invite various interesting people on to talk about their niche area of interest that they could just talk forever about. Here are your hosts. I'm Ali. And I'm Nigel. And today we have Lou. Lou, how are you? Thanks. It's been a busy day, um, but yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, nice. And what are you here to talk to us about today? I am here to talk to you about LARP. All right, <laughs> LARP. Uh-huh. So, how did you get into LARP? Why did you choose it for uh, today's episode? Um, so, um, I chose it for today's episode because it's the thing I spend a significant amount of my time doing. It's kind of my um, my downtime activity, like I do for fun. Um, there, I got into it long in the midst of time back in like the nineties. Um, I'm old. Um, the <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the lad who lived two doors down from me, because I'm living near Stockport at this point, um, uh, basically came uh, two doors up from us when he moved in, knocked on the door and asked me and my brother if we wanted to uh, hang out with him and play tabletop play. Well, at that point, it was sort of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so me and my brother, who were like early teenagers at this point, like, what's a Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> Mum, can we go play the Dragons game? <laughs> you know, like, and, like, uh, um, and uh, so yeah, we start hanging out with this lad uh, named Darren and playing um, Dungeons and Dragons with him. Um, and uh, the uh, and like after we've done that for a while, he start he says he's starting up um, a LARP group because he's. Uh, played some of the games in the in the that were going on in the UK at the time, like I think the Nationals, which has been going for a long time, um, and uh, so he wants to make like a local LARP game. Um, so we st- he sets up this local LARP society um, in our neighbourhood with him and his friends, and he we occasionally go to Linnetcloth Scout Camp, which is like um, I think it's out in Cheshire. It's just and where you were just allowed to kind of pay. A certain amount of money and set up your camp and then we'd have adventures around the uh the campsite and that kind of thing and but that was back in the days of where everybody's got lovely fancy latex swords now but back in those days you, your sword was basically like a piece of wood with some foam stuck onto it and then gaffer tape duct tape over it into a vaguely a sword shape and that was the sort of weapons that everybody had um whereas these days you can get quite expensive fancy um uh, latex ones that look like reasonably like swords, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, so that was, yeah, that's where I got started in it. Um, and I played that when I was till like early college, so maybe something like t- 1999, 2000. Um, and then I went off to university um, and left it all kind of behind and didn't come back to it again until I was doing my PhD in twin. And I did finish my PhD in 2012. And I started hanging out with some people um, who were playing like the Vampire Parlor LARP. And so um, there's a number of different kinds of LARP. There's like there's LARPs, there's festival LARPs in big fields. And that's usually over a weekend or something like that. And there's lots of you in a field or or set with tents and that kind of thing. Um, There's Parlor LARPs, which I think is slightly more accessible to people with um, mobility difficulties, um, where they're usually you're in a space. Uh, like a, you hire out a room or something like that and everybody just does things in that room for an evening or however long it is mm. um there's linear larps um like a lot of university systems are like this like the original kind of cambridge and oxford ones and durham as well they all had um early early university system i think treasure trap was one of the earliest um systems 
And those are usually maybe like the day you will go out for the day and you'll meet up in like a park or um, a forestry area or that kind of thing. And you'll you'll go off on kind of a, a single adventure during the day or maybe one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And so like everybody in the morning, some people will be the monsters and you'll be the adventurers and then you'll swap over and then in the afternoon, so the way around. And that's usually like a series. That's more like a kind of traditional D&D game where you go through a series of encounters with monsters one by one or meet the yeah. villages or that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so I started out with the kind of those kind of linear systems. Um, and I came back when I after I'd finished my PhD, I came back to Newcastle, uh, where I live now, like Newcastle on time. Um, and uh, got and back in with the crowd who played like the parlor larp, the vampire, the masquerade parlor larp. Um, so they would just book out um, uh, like um, uh, a community center um, uh, for an evening or something. And then you'll play you'll play the court of the vampires in the city, or whatever, all having your political intrigue and that sort of thing. Um, and then from that, I got into kind of linear LARPs again and I got into field LARPs again. Um, and I've been sort of doing it on and off ever since then, from then now, from a sort of 2012 to, to now, uh, yeah. with a big break for the pandemic because we couldn't really do, do anything during the pandemic. Um, hmm. okay, so, yeah, so most of my free time essentially is, is, is it one thing doing that in one way or another? Yeah. So is there like a large community of LARPers? I mean, either in the UK or like globally? Um, Because I've, yeah. I've heard like I've heard of LARPing, but I don't think I actually know anyone in real life who does it. Like I know you, but I've never met you personally. And you're like mm -hmm. the only person I know online who LARPs. Um, um, so it's interesting. There are actual kind of international cultures of LARP. Um, so I know uh, there are there's a fair crack. I can think of most of the one the most northerly ones I know of on the sort of Britain island of the UK. I don't know if there's. I definitely know of a uh, one Irish guy because my girlfriend is um uh, is a friend of my girlfriend's and I've seen him at the one I get the big one I go to, which is called Empire. Um. Uh, but I don't know that many people who come over to sort of England from um, from Ireland. Uh, I, there's a there's a reasonable sized community in Glasgow. There's a reasonable there's a handful of people in Dundee. Um, I don't know of anyone further north than that. I think there are, but I don't know them. Um, and then I can and most English cities have a reasonable have. Like certainly the reasonable size cities will have a small LARP community with them. I tends to congregate in university cities. Um, so I think we're a bit more disparate. I, there's a very strong community in Lancaster. It's a very strong community based around the university LARP in, in York and Lancaster and in Durham as well. Um, I can think of a, there's a few games in Manchester. There's a lot of games. There's a, well, there's certainly several national systems which have branches. In, the, in a number of different places, like Falls and Heroes, for instance, um, that has like a Newcastle branch, a Teesside branch, um, a Portsmouth branch, um, uh, a couple of dotted around London, there's a Leeds branch, that kind of thing. Um, so I think if you, if you investigate in your city, wherever you are, you may well find some, certainly in uh, across the UK. Um, so... The UK has a particular LARPing culture, which I think is a sort of balance between numbers and role play. There's 
so also Nordic LARP, which is um, the sort of, yeah, the Nordic countries, like um, certainly Denmark less so, but Sweden, Finland, probably Norway, um, they have a very kind of theatrical LARP culture. They like lots of workshopping and, and sort of decompressing afterwards and talking about things. And um, it's very kind of method, their LARPing. Um, whereas I think the U I would think of the US LARP as uh, community of, as being, they've preserved a lot of things that we used to do, like um, a lot of game mechanics that we used to do. Um, and some of them still use like, don't use latex weapons or, or both still use gaff tape weapons, that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, and there's a, I've, um, I know some people from, from Britain who often go over to, um, if they can afford it, will go over to do the big um, blockbuster laps in places like Finland. Like there's one, there was one, a friend of mine went over to Finland to do like a one I think that was actually either in a submarine or it was made up like a submarine. Um, and then there okay. have been one of yeah. those is infinitely cooler than the other. <laughs> I I'd have to ask Dave whether it was in a submarine or if it was meant to look like a submarine. But it was very, it was certainly kind of set up in that way. And at one point, he had to actually jury rig a fuse by putting a piece of metal across it to change the lights in some way. Like, um, yeah. And there, there are, there are different kind of styles even within the within kind of the UK um, and different LARP cultures within the UK. Like, there are. Um, there are some people who are very much more about the the numbers and the fighting, and the, that's the main part of it. And there are some LARP games that are more about um, complex interactions and politics. Like the one that just finished recently is, is called Anarchy. Um, I never went to it, but a few of my friends went to it. And that's Anarchy in the, the UK. Yes, well, it's it's actually um, it's actually the the I think the tenth, uh, eleventh century Anarchy. Don't quote me on that. I'm not a historian. Uh, you know the Anarchy where um, King Stephen and Queen Matilda. Um, had a, a fight over who would rule um, England. Um, oh yeah, it's that one. Um, it, the, the, it's basically set during that period, and and you all play, all the players played um, uh, people intriguing within the court of uh, of Queen Matilda, um, and uh, they ended up making an alternative timeline because there was a duel or a joust or something, and. An NPC who was a major player in the anarchy got killed in the joust. So, <laughs> so <laughs> at that point, they've changed history. So the whole thing has to go down in a slightly different way. Um, like well, the, we've changed history once already. We may as well just keep going. We may as well just keep, keep going. Like, in for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Um, that's not as... Uh, but this is... That, that I have a soft rule about no time travel in LARPs to some extent because... Um, you always have to mess about too much. Like there's a game uh, that another game that just finished, which I did crew for, which was uh, called a Age of Ether, and um, uh, it was based it, it roughly based on War of the Worlds, um, in that the Martians have invaded and they're the Martians from the War of the Worlds, but they've rather than um, them being seen off um, in Surrey like they are in the Wells H.G. Wells book. Uh, they uh, were victorious and um, started conquering the world. And the, when the original game was set up, it was essentially a world where there was like a, a few enclaves, a few of uh, like small post empires of humans, um, and whole areas of the world had been covered by red weed zones um, from the Martians. Um, so, <laughs> Sorry. Um, the 
and again, Sorry. Uh, so the, the the game of Age of Ether was basically a quite a constant fight between um, the Martians trying to take over the world and also um, the humans all trying to work together despite their kind of disparate um, backgrounds and national uh, um, uh, affiliations and that kind of thing. So, like, there was a faction that was de facto communist Russia, but space communist Russia. Um, there was a faction that was uh, the remnants of the British Empire, but they'd gone to Australia. So Queen Victoria was Australian. Um, and we had a, a lovely lady called Jade, who play, who was actually Australian, um, who played Queen Victoria, um, like Australian Queen Victoria. Um, and uh, But there was at one point during that, there was a, uh, it's not a rambling Billy Conley story. Um, there, there was one instance where someone... Uh, <laughs> where actual HG Wells um, showed up and somebody, I think, stole his time machine or made him use his time machine. And they tried to go back to stop the Martian invasion. But instead, uh, they didn't manage to stop the Martian invasion. But instead, they told somebody in the past that it was happening. And it was a French guy. And then they then had to, the, all the game runners then had to basically rewrite time. <laughs> <laughs> To be what would happen if the French had been forewarned of the Martian invasion, and so after the after that player event, um, a player event is um, a get an event not run by the main team. It's uh, sometimes players will volunteer to run a little side event, um, and they will usually send the plot to the to the uh, game runner to get it approved beforehand, that kind of thing, and then the plot the game runner may want to throw in their own plot to that event, um, and. Um, so basically, they had to rewrite the uh, victorious, uh, victorious Empire of France or something like that, who uh, who then previously hadn't been a faction, but now were a faction because they'd been pre-warned, fled to one of their colonies, um, avoided um, the you know um, avoided France. Well, France obviously was destroyed in the Martian invasion, but the French government wasn't, and the French people weren't because they'd evacuated before it happened. So. Basically, the game winners had to rewrite the entire game <laughs> because someone had done time travel. Just <laughs> so, as you do, like. Yeah, so we don't do time travel in LARP unless we want to have to write our rewrite our entire game. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> why did I start on that? I can't remember. You were talking about the different styles, but also when you mentioned space communism, um, mm. it would like with like Soviets in space. I was like trying to follow along with all these different really complex systems, and then you started talking about time traveling French. But all I could think about was that scene from Command and Conquer Red Alert Three, where Tim Curry is like, yes! "I'm going to, yes, the one place not corrupted by capitalism, space." Um, it's it, it wasn't so much. I mean, it, it's not a spoiler now because the game is long finished. So what was happening with um with the Russian Federation or whatever the, the Russian um I can't remember what the fact was called because they were long gone by the end of the game um a secret triad of three martian overseers had infiltrated russia R russian communism um and were secretly ruling the humans from behind the scenes and experimenting on them so the entire like soviet space uh well they weren't i don't know if they were even soviets because it's pre-soviet um it's 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 set in the period of war of the world um or the world so it's actually slightly before then um so yeah um and and all, when this sort of big reveal happened in the plot all the russian players were furious <laughs> well like all, all, the, all the russian characters were furious like we've it's been a lie 
spy. <laughs> and they're all like, we still believe in communism, but we just don't believe. You know, we want, we want to take out these uh, these Martian overseers who've been, who've been ruling us from behind the scenes. Um, it had Rasputin in it. It had um, basically uh, that game. Any, anybody who was vaguely appropriate for the time they would throw in as an NPC. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think it had Rasputin in it. It had... Um, Much like the Chris Chibnall era of Doctor Who, anyone who is vaguely around the time is getting thrown in as an NPC. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that, that that's how Mark wrote... Um, we had someone who we had at least one NPC who was um, Marie Curie, but Edna from um, what's, what's the Incredibles? Oh. Yes, Edna. So yeah, basically she was playing Marie Curie, but as Edna from the Incredibles. Um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> like a cross between the two. <sighs> I might be confusing your NPCs, but yeah, um, yeah. That that was a very it was a very schlock a very silly fun game. It had a mechanic called boffinry. So, like, there was a character class called Boffin, and the character class Boffin was literally, we give you a piece of paper, invent a crazy thing. Um, I like so, that. Yeah, they, invent, they invented contraptions, portable heat rays, um, like, uh, thing that, so at one point there was a monster who had to be killed by silver, so somebody invented, like, um, an injectable silver system to put on the claws of the monster players that kind of thing oh yeah there were um there were two <clears throat> what i think of as this game has been written so the fairies have something to play um there were two you could be also be a reptid or a hyrcanian and the hyrcanians were um sort of cat people but people rolled with whatever they could do that was vaguely in that area so there was somebody who played someone played a hyrcanian from um Ah, oh, somewhere in the, the South Atlantic, and she basically looked like a, she all her kit basically made her look like a walrus. Um, and of the of the Australian Hyrcanian basically appeared to be a kangaroo. Um, there was at least one tiger. Um, there was at least a couple of kind of snow cats. Um, and then there were some big big red reptids who had big sort of red um lizard masks on that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So they were kind of the, the they were the people they were the people who'd been subjugated by the Martians, uh, but had kind of <clears throat> escaped um, and uh, run away and um, joined the humans on the Earth. Uh, yeah, Age of Ether was good fun. I got to write the second to last game of that, and I spent the whole time just just morally torturing the players. Um, I made them fight holographic versions of all their old um every enemy they'd ever written uh, every enemy they'd ever fought during the entirety of the game i brought back one or i brought back a, like a party of and then made them fight them all um so that the people who'd been there from the beginning of the game were just like oh that's one of these you fight it this way oh that, no that's one oh, i remember those now you have well these are quite hard you have to fight them this way it was what mark <laughs> described as the clip show um, <laughs> Because it was the second to last game, so I'm like, okay, so I'm what I, I I sat down to write that game, and I asked my best friend John and Pete, who had been crewing really long time, I said, tell me every plotline that's not been resolved, every every player's plotline that's not resolved. Like for instance, there was one player who'd written that she'd lost her family right at the beginning of the game, like uh, she didn't know where they'd gone. So, oh. 
So I, and there was one mission where they needed to go and fetch. Just later on in the campaign, being like, I could, I could swear we're forgetting something. Ah, uh, mustn't be important. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Can't be important so, if you forgot it. Like, ah, oh, yeah, fair enough. Meanwhile. So basically, I just went right. Okay, that's what needs to sort of all things. So one of the missions, I just put her mother there. <laughs> just they, they, just a man there, just being a secretary for two of the villains. <laughs> uh, just, just yeah, just, I just, I just right. Okay, there we go. That's going there. <laughs> so like this player just finally got like the plot line that had been uh, her plot line that she dropped in. And now the players are they, but the characters are she. Um, the the player. Uh, so yeah, um, this this character's mother who's been missing for years. And I just get. I got somebody to give me a copy of the last letter that the character had sent to her mother. And I printed it out and I tea stained it up and I put it in like and like have this in your pocket. This is the last letter you have from her. Um, <laughs> like I've missed you so much. You know, it was it was adorable. I'm glad I got to watch that. But yeah, all, all the plot lines that needed to be resolved, I just kind of, I wrote them into the plot of that. And then I, uh, and as I say, I made, the, the main plot of it was that they had to prove to this alien, to the last, so it was a ship, crash ship called the Hand of Justice. Um, and uh, from this ancient lost alien race who died out millions of years ago, but, and this ship is all that's left of these people. Um, and, but these people are, uh, follow the Prime Directive, um, or something close to the Prime Directive, in that they will only give their technology to a species that they believe is morally advanced enough to be able to use it safely, um, or to mm -hmm. not destroy themselves with it. So, um, okay. in order to pre uh, so basically, I, this was a, a, an excuse for me to throw a bunch of moral dilemmas at these at the players and make them fight every single monster they'd ever seen before, and then uh, and then like I had them. Uh, uh, had had some Martians show up and surrender to them to see if they would just kill them straight off. Um, as kind of like a moral test. So here's your greatest enemy. Um, do you have the moral? Uh, do you have the moral st strength to not kill these people who are your greatest enemy if they've surrendered to you? Um, and are you could just see them just desperate, just desperately wanting to kill these Martians, like oh, they, like having to be held back from doing it. Um, yeah. So yeah, I just kind of. I was I was awful to those players, and I'm very sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was the second line. And then the final game, they they blew up the big thing and defeated the big monster and that kind of thing, and that was the end of the game. Um, but yeah, that's that one. That's Age of Ether. Um, the other yeah. one, uh, the the other one, big one I play is Empire, which is um, the probably one of the biggest ones in the in in certainly in the UK. Um, and I think there are bigger ones in Germany, like Drachen, Drachenloch or Drachengard or something like that. Um, <clears throat> that's on average two to two and a half thousand people in a field. Um, so those, uh, and it, it's the way it works is you, you usually go down on like Thursday, Friday, um, time in, which is uh, basically when the game starts, is at about six o'clock on Friday, and time out, which is the game finishes, is about three o'clock on Sunday. And the conceit of that is that the. Um, uh, you are the great and good of an empire called the Cassinean Empire. Um, it has a long history. Um, it has uh, wars with various nations of orcs or other humans on its borders. Um, yeah, there are 10 individual nations that make up parts of this empire. They all have their own separate cultures. There is a senate um, comprised of um, uh, senators from all those nations. There is a military council 
but from the gen for the generals of all the nations who decide what happens in the periods between the games where wars are put are um uh pursued during the uh downtime periods um there is also a synod of priests i play a priest in that game and there is a conclave of magicians and uh magicians in this game are the ones that deal with kind of mysterious magical entities um that that exist in different realms um and there is a there is a trading game as well called the Bourse, um where you can trade for um Sort of, they're called boar seats, but they're usually like um, a very big resource, like like a mithril mine, for instance, um, or right. a or or, or or something that produces a, a mag- one of the magical stones or uh, one of the uh, weirwood, um, which you can make magical boats out of that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, there's so there's um, there's a, it's huge game, over over two thousand people play it, um, probably more at any one time. Um, there's do they? Uh, the, sorry, do they all play it in the one space, or is this yeah. separated across multiple? It covers okay, it, so... the size of a small music festival. Um, right. Okay. And how often does this meet? Four times a year. Four. To, okay. So, but four times a year, they said that. So they hire out of some a set of fields, and it's covering four or five fields easily uh, between the outer yeah. character area, the outer character camping, the in character, and it basically it just this whole area just becomes a tent city. Um. Just uh, with with demarcated areas for each um, for each nation, um, and there is also a, most of the nations are human, but there is also one nation of orcs, which is some very very committed people who wear an orc mask for an entire weekend. It's very brave of them. <laughs> I've done. I I can wear one. I've discovered I can wear one all day uh, without too much difficulty. But I've modded my orc mask a great deal um, uh, to to fit me and more better better and not slide around on my head that kind of thing. Um, and on the Saturday and the Sunday, the morning is the battle. Um, so what happens there with the battle is there is the conceit is that there's something called a magical. There's a magical gate called the Sentinel Gate, um, which is big enough for a small army to march through. Um, mm. And uh, uh, each of these days, um, the heroes of the Empire, like all the ones who fight, go through the Sentinel Gate um and uh they um and to a location somewhere in the empire or somewhere on the edge of the empire or wherever they need to do like combat um march through and then they act as a small expeditionary force they need to cast a ritual somewhere they need to just take a territory they may need to capture an enemy commander they may need to capture an enemy fort something like that um and so that will be a good 400 people ish maybe 500 people on each side Maybe less than that, maybe more, yeah, depending on yeah. who's well enough to take the field. And then, so half the people, again, half the people will be battling on one day, and half the people battling on the other. And then the, um, and there's one nation called Wintermark, which is like the essentially the Vikingish nation, sort of. Um, mm. And they are significantly most of the field. <laughs> like they have most of the, they are a very, very big nation. They cover a large area because a lot of people want to play Vikings, essentially. Um, and they uh, basically, if they're on one side, a number of other nations can't be on the other side. That kind of thing. Like, they can only mm. be them and two other big nations on that to balance the forces to do the force waiting. Um, so, and the other half of the of the fighters will all be orcs. They'll be the enemies, um, and they will. Put, they'll all put orc masks on or makeup on, whatever they need to. 
and they will play the enemies and they will have their own briefing and they will be briefed to stop the players from doing the thing and then you switch over on the next day um i'm a little bit too because i'm disabled i'm um autistic um uh, dyspraxic um i i have fatigue issues that kind of thing so what i tend to do is i don't play the um get the full game because i can't always guarantee i'll be able to but i will play on the orc side and i'll usually mm. play like um a healer on the orc side um so like i have a full um set of like robes with and bone necklaces and that kind of thing to be the to be my orc healer um mm. But I tend not to go on the field uh, or through. Oh, and there are also other smaller battles that you go through with, like, uh, with the, up to kind of 70 people that happen during the rest of the time. Um, and sometimes there are other kind of missions that you can go through on, uh, through Zentral Gate on. Like, um, maybe two of you will go, or a small, small part. There was about five of us went through to negotiate with some forest orcs. Um, uh, who were like not currently our enemies um like you may end up going on diplomatic positions we may go on like fact-finding mis missions or magical missions to rescue people or that kind of thing um yeah um and then also in anvil it's, so anvil is the place where is in in the game where everybody is it's it's the place where the empire was founded and uh the the bar which is called the forge is the is historically within the game where the first the the first empress um did, had the idea and didn't made her plans for this 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 empire essentially um and then so everybody in the in the game comes back to anvil um on on one four times a year to do all the political decision making and uh but then because it's it, i think of it as a bit like the icelandic all thing um have you heard of that um i think so yeah. So um, the Icelandic parliament is called the Althing, um, and it's existed since Iceland was uh, colonised in uh, sort of early medieval period um, by people escaping, I think, King Harald Fair? Some, one of the King Harald, possibly, and, uh, who was uniting Norway, and the Icelanders were basically people who were like, I, I'm sorry, we don't want to be one giant kingdom under one king, we don't like this, and they went mm -hmm. off and founded Iceland um and uh so they have they had one of the earliest democracies um and so they because there's there's just a bunch of kind of individual colonists in individual kind of fjords across iceland oh, nigel? Um, oh, we've lost nigel okay right okay that's why i didn't hear anything back okay um yes so the uh, the icelandic all thing it's um it's essentially their parliament um and uh what happens is um well i think once a year um i'd have to double check that uh, in 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 Icelandic history, everybody would all the people would come from the different settlements, and they would come together and have like the all thing, which was their parliament. And the, when that happened, um, because it was like a big festival and a big important thing happening, all the local traders, all the traders would come to sell their wares. Like um, all the people, people would come and have hiring fairs. So uh, the all the all thing became more than just kind of the political. Um, that the parliament it also became mm. a whole kind of festival um uh, and a, a whole kind of event that everybody would go to and get all their business done for the year across iceland and that's yeah. the same sort of thing that anvil is it's yes people are coming to hold their great houses of state people are coming to have their senate happen that kind of and to plan where the uh, whether um where the armies are going to do their big trading that kind of thing across the empire but it's also 
as a result, then you get a lot of parties or uh, parties happen. Um, uh, people, people, there are people wandering around selling their wares. Um, there are people who are selling magical weapons and that kind of thing. Um, there, and to point to the extent, like there's there's a fashion magazine um, called The Looking Glass. <laughs> Yeah, it's beautiful. Like I, I vaguely know one of the people who makes it. Um, I, my poetry's been in it several times because um, I, I, I play a priest, but the nation I play a priest in, priests are called troubadours, and you are in fact a troubadour. So mm. you you are a wandering minstrel who is also kind of a preacher. Um, so <laughs> I, whenever I put do any of my priest stuff, I, I try and do it in rhyme as often as possible. Um, so I. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I've I've put several times in the Looking Glass. I've put like um, poetry praising people who I thought were particularly virtuous. Um, mm. uh, so uh, like little standards and that kind of thing. Um, and the it has the they they publish it pretty much every event, and it's they usually and with little sketches of people who they thought were particularly well dressed or particularly mm. good examples of their national um, dress brief that kind of thing. Um, and they have like a little gossip column of things that they've overheard about the senators and that kind of thing. So there's, yeah, there's, there's like, there's a fashion magazine. There's what I think of as the equivalent of the Daily Mail, which is the Oath Riot. And I sometimes write, write, write the priest pages for them. Um, where, and they, they publish like um, their sort of their, their newspaper every time as well, which is usually like current affairs. It usually has a full complicated write-up of the battle, the last battle. Uh, which is a friend of mine called Connor, um, who plays one of the Wintermark generals. Um, so there's three general. There's a number. There's a general for every army, and some nations have more than one army. You can essentially buy mm. a new army if you save enough money. Um, and Connor, in his <laughs> daily life, is a um, oh, you, is a historian of the Crusades. Um, he wrote his PhD thesis on essentially rousing speeches given during the Crusades. So he pl so he plays general in this game, <laughs> and <laughs> and I told a guy I was talking to a guy sort of by a fireside on the night before the game. Um, and I said, oh, I said um, Connor's um, yeah yeah Connor's this is what Connor's thesis is in. And this guy was talking to fireside like that explains the speeches. Apparently, <laughs> 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 he's using his like his PhD knowledge to give like rousing pre-battle speeches and right. <laughs> Um, but yeah. I once sat at a D and D table. It was a multi. Uh, it was a multi-table campaign, and mm. it was like the final climactic battle. And someone was passing off uh, Shakespeare speeches as like in character stuff, and everyone was like, <laughs> everyone was like, "Oh my god, that's such a rouse! That's such a great rousing <laughs> speech!" And I'm like, "That's the Saint Crispin's Day speech from oh, Shakespeare." <laughs> You're like, do you know that the meme, you know, the thing I could show like the Riddler from the Batman, just like, does he know? <laughs> yeah, like they had changed certain words in it so it wasn't talking specifically about like England and stuff. Um, but yeah, no, it was literally just Shakespeare. <laughs> now, yeah, and that's not to say that there's anything bad about like doing this kind of thing. Um, but it's just, it's always funny when like people don't twig it. And then this one person is like, yeah. Is that it's really good? <laughs> yeah, it's a jam. <laughs> um, we call that filking. Um, I, I don't know if that 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 exists beyond LARP or um. So filking is when you take a um a known song, and you change the words enough of the words 
to be enough like the game you're in that you can get away with singing it. But yeah. it's always very obvious and sometimes it's slightly amusing when people do it. Because it's fair enough, some people don't have the kind of songwriting skills to write a whole new song. I know people who do, they're very talented, but sometimes it's fun to just swap the word, you know, knock out the word British from Empire, uh, yeah, so you've just got Empire, or um, swap vir- swap something out for the word Virtue or something like that. Um, mm. And I, I try to, I will use sometimes use tunes that exist for from other songs. I try not to filk songs as far as possible. Um, I prefer to write my own stuff. Um, yeah. But it's but but it's it's always so everybody was we were um after the witcher came out like um and everybody was singing the toss a coin to your witcher song there were so many memes on the empire groups about the fact that the minute we got back into the empire field everybody and his uncle would be singing toss a coin to your witcher or singing something like toss a coin to your bard or some sort of filk some sort of changed version of toss a coin to your witcher and then the pandemic happened and nobody could LARP. And it never happened. Oh, God. <laughs> and no one's that, like, the Toss is going to your wish district craze is well over. So no, I've not heard anybody singing it in the field. Um, so, yeah, we narrowly avoided everybody in the field singing Toss is going to your witcher. Because um, they deliberate, he deliberately wrote, I think Joey Beatty was deliberately wrote that song to be very deliberately catchy and, like, deliberately annoying. Like, it was very well contrived to be. Um, yeah, something that people would pick up. Side note: Joey Beatty is a fucking amazing musician as well he's as a, actor. He's a local lad. He's Geordie, I think. Joey Beatty is he? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's, he's he? It's Geordie. Yeah, um, oh. you can hear it. if you listen hard to his accent. You can hear it. Um, no local lad. I'm from Manchester. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I live up here. Yeah, he's he's a genius musician. Uh, his uh, I think his his he's got several uh, at least one other band that I'm aware of that's a folk band. Um, I'm not really yeah. surprised they cast him for that for that role. What's it called? It's the Devil in the Wild, I think, or something. Yeah, like that. something like that. Like it's got Devil in it. Yeah, it's or maybe that I think the album is called Horror in the Wild, the Amazing mm-hmm. Devil. Yes, yes, that's the one um yes mm. um and it does it does have the vibes of like a fantasy world uh, or like like a like an rpg campaign um there's one from their latest album called uh, the, the song is called ink pop gods mm. and the end of the song is just if i don't make it back from where i'm gone just know i loved you all along and i'm like well if, if that isn't the end of every D campaign i've ever seen listened to yeah heard about <laughs> definitely definitely yeah he's a he's a really yeah. good you can you can really see why they cast him for that role like clearly the casting director's gone and listened to that music and gone this we're casting a person who is a very good musician and a very good fantasy musician because he's gonna yeah. know the vibes to hit for something like that yeah i always like the thing where he's i think him and henry cavill are not far off from each other in height so they have to do creative filming to make it look like, like they're not the same height. To make it look like they're that Geralt, like Geralt, should be towering over, um, uh, should be towering over Dandelion slash Yaskier slash whatever they call him. Um, ah, oh, there's a Witcher LARP, you know. There's a Witcher LARP now. Oh. Yeah. Uh, uh, was this occasioned friend... by the popularity of the show? 
Yes, absolutely. I'm pretty. We're almost certain that. that yeah, yeah. Almost certainly. Yeah. Um. It's. I don't play it. I've got one friend who cruises it, and one person who plays it, and she plays like um like, I think um, she's just playing kind of an archer lad. Um. Like uh, um her character was um. Uh, kind of. I I don't describe it kind of tavern, not tavern wench, more kind of like she's pretending to be a tavern wench, you know, pretending to be like a party girl. Um, Mm. But actually she's up to like secret intrigue. Um, And yeah, apparently they have to have like a maximum number of witches. um, uh, Like because they can't have too many witches in the game because it would break it or something like that. Um, I forget where it runs, but yeah, um, I think it's... You can be from various different Witcher nations. Um, I think uh, I think it is a sort of. I don't know if they are meeting up to to kill monsters or something like that. I'd have to ask my friends how the, how the game actually works. But yeah, there is a Witcher. I, I'm not interested in it because it sounds high combat, and I'm too disabled for high combat stuff. Um, but yeah, it does sound like it's a good laugh, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I'm not surprised there's a Witcher lot by now. It was. Uh, I would love. To, I would love to run. And Magnus Archives LARP, very much so. This is a reference to one Ooh. of your other podcasts, um, <laughs> no, Nigel. I've got it; it's in my head. <laughs> but I need some. I need a producer. I cannot. Um, I cannot deal with um, taking money, hiring venues, hiring caterers, that kind of thing. Um, Actually, I don't days. know. I don't know anything about that either. But instantly, I want to be like, I want to be part of this. I've never done an official LARP before, but I, I do that one definitely in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, I think it will be quite popular, but I would need to find somebody who's willing to produce it for me. Um, I, I will direct it. I would write it. I have the plot in my head. I could absolutely do it. Um, and I know. And I would want to have it in one of those. Um, there's a lot of kind of slightly remote um, uh, hostels and uh, venues up in the Lake District, like miles from anywhere. I yeah. Said it in one of those where you could get a real sense of isolation. Um, uh, mm. and being like trapped wherever you are with with whatever's attack whatever's tormenting you um yeah yeah that is totally in my head when i when i find someone who's willing to produce it with me i i will i will i will run that magnus archive start other people have contacted them before about it and they were kind of okay with you doing it as long as you've obeyed the licenses and that kind of thing and so i think they'd probably be okay with it if i asked them um but mm. i'd need to find someone who'd be you... willing to run it with me um yeah You've mentioned an awful lot of like different types of LARPs and different campaigns and stuff. Um and like like is it all just these big campaigns or are there smaller ones that like you know smaller groups of friends can do or is your best bet for doing them joining one of these larger ones? Um absolutely uh there are smaller ones people and people can set up their own stuff as well. Um like I have my own smaller one. I have uh, it mainly runs as a TTRPG because the people who are in it um, are uh, in different parts of the country. Um, but uh, like I, I wrote my own system, which is a sort of late steampunk um, steampunk zombie game where um, something horrible changed the world so that um, pe- people don't die properly. Um, uh, yeah, it's called called Aquarius nineteen eleven. Uh, I wrote one just a system just because I wanted to see if I could write a system. Um, so yeah, you can write your own system. You can uh, run your own system. You and your bunch of mates can. Uh, there are also individual one session LARPs for one weekend um, that only run once. 
those things exist as well. Like, um, for instance, I crewed for a game called... Um, ah, now, I've forgotten what it was called. Um, I'm deeply apologetic to my Glaswegian friends who wrote it. Um, Corpus Christi. That's right, Corpus Christi. Um, which was a kind of eldritch horror slash demons slash... Um, and it was in... Uh, one of those in a youth hostel in the um in the lake district um and it was a single session um i don't think it's it part of it may be part of an overarching narrative but and it was um some uh british scientists had uh found a machine that was allowing you to send people into um the netherworld uh but they were they were um summoning horrible things back when they brought people back by mistake that kind of thing um and yeah. that was that was that was I think there was a one-off game of that a long time ago, and I think this was another one-off game of it because there were some characters carried over from it. But that was kind of just one weekend. Uh, everybody got given a character brief essentially of who they were, um, and then there were a bunch of crew plants as well who were given a character brief. But we also needed the plot, <clears throat> and our job was in in each of our factions to kind of help the people do the thing, encourage them to have fun, that kind of thing. Um, like I was in the occultist faction, which was absolutely fucking brilliant. Had an absolute time. There's this big Glaswegian lad called uh, Jer, who um, the brief they gave him was essentially Alistair Crowley, but with the serial numbers filed off. Um, like this sort of big old fake occultist who has his own, you know, cults and and publishes and writes and, but is actually a big big old charlatan. Um, and I was playing his boyfriend um, at slash slash acolyte, um, and uh, we spent the whole time just basically running around going, "These scientists are meddling with things they don't understand." Here, let us let us banish this demon for you. Or, oh, I suppose we'll have to go into the ether. And by the end of the game, like the scientists were going, "How do you know how this stuff works?" And we're like, "It's right here in the occult box." <laughs> <laughs> like everyone knows how to do this. If you just come and spoken to us about it um yeah that was that was good fun um uh yeah yeah so there are sort of individual apps you can just kind of make your own system and play with your friends um you just really the the only difference between that and d and just playing D with your friends is that you need to find somewhere outdoors to do it um Local university systems. If you're in a university town, there's probably your university probably has a LARP system you can join in on. Um, there will be something in most areas in the UK. Um, I don't know about Ireland. I'd have to ask people I know about Ireland. Um, mm. But I could I could probably identify people in most areas of the UK. Um, and there there will be local LARPs wherever you are. Um, but yeah, yeah. There's there's any number of different systems out there depending on um, what sort of thing you like and depending on what your accessibility needs are as well because um, there are there are some games which are more accessible than others. Um, uh, Empire does a lot to try and uh, build in accessibility to their game, but obviously it's going to be quite hard if you're um, say uh, walking with a stick or in a wheelchair or um, mm. functionally blind. Although my friend uh, Hazel is uh, functionally blind and um, uh, she takes part in. Uh, we took her through the Sentinel Gate on a linear. We just protected her. Um, she, she we ne we needed enough people to cast a particular ritual. You need enough people. Like in Empire, everybody has ranks of um, ritual law, 
um, and you need a certain number of people. You need to hit a certain magnitude. So say if you need to hit magnitude like six or something, you can do it with two people with three ranks or one three people with two ranks, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, we just had we just had to kind of protect uh, her as part of the ritual team. Um, she'd like to get into priesting, so I've offered to, um, if necessary, read all the um, all the things that are posted on the priest's notice board um, for her, so she can decide what she wants to vote on. Um, there is yeah, there's people knocking around in wheelchairs with stick. I use the stick quite often at Empire. Um, there are. Um, there, I was part of the audio accessibility team. So for people with um, dyslexia or who people need things read out, a lot of the game information uh, about which which wars were won during the downtimes is all published on the website in big old write-ups. Um, so for a while, I was part of like the audio accessibility team reading those out. So um, and we're told a lot of people kind of just listen to that as if it was one long podcast in the car on the way down to get like an info dump. Um, yeah, uh, and as I say, parlor LARPs are probably a lot better for people with mobility difficulties because you can sort of play those games just by kind of sitting in a chair the whole time and uh, conducting your conducting your vampire business or whatever. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, uh, we're, there are several people who kind of uh, quite big on accessibility in LARP and trying to make yeah. LARP as accessible as possible. So it's kind of something yeah. for everyone. Mm-hmm. Do you have any... Um... Do you have any advice for people getting into LARP for the first time? Because, like you say, that you can set up your own one, but especially if you're for the first time, it might, you know, you might think uh, that it's best to join an established group so you get a sense mm-hmm. of it. But, like you mentioned before, a lot of them are these really, really big events with thousands mm-hmm. of people there. So, do you have any advice for like getting into that world and not being uh, completely overwhelmed for a new? A newcomer to the world of LARP. Um, so as I say, if you're in a university town, um, uh, like Lancaster, York, Durham, um, Norwich is another good one for it. Um, you will probably there will probably be a university system that you might be able to get involved with. Um, there are um, there are various UK LARP forums, um, and Facebook groups, or um, there are UK LARP sites that. Um, there are websites that index all local games and that kind of thing. Uh, there will, you can probably find something in your area and contact the people running it. Sometimes out of ten, if you tell the people running it that you're new to everything, they will talk you through things, do everything they possibly can do to make you feel comfortable. Um, Set so if you want to get into the big games, and I do know people who jump straight into the big games uh, like Empire. Uh, you're always better to go with a group of people. Um, because I know there are some people who will merrily wander around as a, as a lone person. I did it for a lot of the, ga- um, the early part of the game. Um, but those games are often better if you can find like a team of mates to come down with. You can share driving. You can set up a, a house or a hall or whatever you are doing together. Um, I, I think LARP is always better with, with, with a bunch of your friends doing it with you, to be honest. Um, so find people who are, who are interested in doing it with you. Talk to your local organisers, your local games, um, ask them to t- say you're interested to get into it. They'll probably be more than happy to talk you through it. Um, certainly all the saliers on Officers, Fools and Heroes I've known would have done that for their local people who want to join their local branches. Um, your local nerd fairs, there'll probably be people like uh, up here we used to have Nerd East, um, which is in Durham, which is a big kind of a, a, a little kind of localised nerd convention. Um, 
Often people who do TTRPGs also involved in LARP, um, so you may be able to ask there. Um, and and most games won't expect you to come in with a perfect full setup of everything. Um, you know, you can rock up with like uh, a fairly cheap sword um, and uh, and um, like my first tabard. My mum made it on the sewing machine. It's basically a cheese. Mm. Like um, nobody expects <laughs> you to have perfect, beautiful kit the first time. There's plenty of people who walk in with like a tabard and a sword, and that's it. Um, and there will be there will be um, kit uh, recommendations on the websites, that kind of thing. Uh, Empire says that all the kit is aspirational and it has a specific rule about not slacking off other people's kit or saying it's not good enough, that kind of thing. That's actually against the rules. Um, mm. That's refreshing you... to hear. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, that's against specifically against the rules because not everybody can come in with like a beautiful, you know, medieval ball gown, um, perfectly. Erect. Some people do. Some people. There's been. A lot of people who, over the pandemic, made really detailed and gorgeous stuff, and have, have just started the game again with with amazing kit. Um, but that's not expected. Like as I say, everybody's everybody remembers that their first LARP kit was, you know, something very very basic. Um, yeah, I think it, it would help if you can drive. It will make getting things a lot easier if you can drive. But most things you can get to public transport, or you can get a lift with people. Um, uh, and there are like UK LARP um, uh, groups where you can look and try and find uh, things that might you might be interested in. I mean, if you like, if you think about the kind of D and D the game you like to play, uh, you you may well find that you like that kind of LARP as well. Um, like, if you like playing complex political games, you might like the the vampire LARPs, the sort of political vampire LARPs, or games like Anarchy. If you just if you're D and D James, you just like to be you and your posse of murder hobos and elf dwarf and a goblin walk into a bar uh running around um just stabbing things you might like the linear larps linear larps are going to be much the same thing um it's going to be you and your mates going around stabbing orcs and uh, and rescuing villagers um if you, if you have a lot of money you may want to go to a castle in poland and be an elaborate vampire for a weekend or that kind of thing or, <laughs> or a finnish submarine if it was a finnish submarine if you're extremely wealthy if you have like fairies money um like <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's there's probably there are uh, it's there are a lot of different things out there available. There are a lot of people who uh, any any game whose um, runner doesn't kind of bite your hand off and immediately go, oh, I'll talk you through everything you need to know. It's probably you'll find another one who is more friendly. Um, uh, generally speaking, and I gen I generally speaking, I found it a very the ones I play certainly are very queer friendly, trans friendly more queer and trans friendly than i would expect in the normal population um as in you were uh, I, i've seen people who wouldn't who would have just automatically heed me actually bother to ask whether i'm they them or look at the badge on my chest before uh doing it that yeah kind of thing. That's, uh, the, that's em good. yeah um empire has actually a mechanic for transitioning in the game uh which was written by a trans woman i believe who is one of the writers um uh, which is which is a, a magic flower called Grove Blossom, which uh, people take a tincture of to transition their gender. Um, uh, and the, all the trans players headcanon that this flower has blue, white, and uh, pink blossoms, and people have made flower crowns of blue, white, and pink blossoms and said it's their grow their Grove Blossom clown, crown. Um, there are canonically trans and non-binary characters in the game, uh, but they're actually beautifully well written. Like um, there is um, 
a trans woman who runs an orphanage in the and who is one of the like the saints in the system um uh who yeah uh, who, who ran an orphanage and there's also a wonderful non-binary swamp witch who uh always who used they them pronouns and uh refused to inform anybody what their gender was and was a mysterious snake thing who lived in a swamp and didn't tell anybody <laughs> about it it's like ah i had to be swamp genderless swamp cryptid <laughs> that's one of my future character ideas that's the dream yeah genderless swamp cryptid yeah <laughs> it's giving gender yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I've, I've found them generally not perfect, not perfect. There will be people who misgender you, but, um, as anywhere else, but much better on, on the sort yeah. of trans friendly front. I think to be honest, one of the things we do have a problem with and we nearly need to sort out is being welcoming to people of color. Um, there mm. are far too few people of color in LARP for my liking. Um, and <clears throat> that's because of historical issues with people using blackface in their games and other things uh, up until very recently, uh, for which there has been a lot of outcry about. And they finally got rid of that from that game, which I will not name. Um, and I think that it is generally a, a good welcoming space for um, trans, uh, non-binary and queer people. We have a lot of work, a lot of work to do about being welcoming for people of colour. Um, there are um, like support Facebook groups and that kind of thing for LARPers of colour. Um, but um, yeah, there's not, there is not enough and we are bad at that and we need to get better at it. Um, and I don't know what to do about that. Um, <clears throat> and I'm loath to ask my friends of colour who are LARPers because they've probably been asked a million times and we should be doing the work ourselves. Um, mm. Uh, but yeah, uh, otherwise um, it can be, it, it, it's a bunch of people who uh, are having a laugh and uh, um, hitting each other with rubber swords in a field for a weekend to get away from the world for a bit of fun. Like it's, uh, that's essentially what it boils down to. Um, I am aware that we are easily nine minutes over the hour we said we'd <laughs> be talking for. Sorry. Right. Don't worry about it. Yeah, not at all. Uh, so if you've got any more questions for me, I'll be more than happy to answer them. Um, Not that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, I'm the same in particular. We could wrap it up there unless you have anything else. No, that's, that's fine with me. Um, yeah, as I say. Um, I, I, um, do do you, you want me to give socials or anything like that? Or... Um... Yeah, I was just, I was just about to ask. Um, like, is there anything you want to share? Like, um... um, yeah, sure. So, um, I can be found on Twitter. Um, at Lou J Sutcliffe, L O U J, S U T C L I F F E. Um, I am more than happy to be uh, DM'd about LARP if necessary. Um, I also uh, make the an audio drama called The Pantaloon Society, which is about um, a uh, secret society of eldritch clowns who uh, with superpowers who. Defend the world from uh, theatrical supernatural threats. Um, uh, uh, yes, um, and yes, by all means, ask me about LARP on Twitter if you want to know about it, and I can point you. Probably, I can almost certainly, if you are in the UK somewhere, um, I will struggle with Northern Ireland, um, but I can probably find people who can find things. I can probably find you a local system somewhere um, uh, through some contact. Um, uh, yes, sir. so uh, thanks for inviting me on. Uh, it's been good uh, frothing for. An hour that's just gone, was flown by <laughs> about this. Yeah. Sort of thing. yeah, yeah, no problem. Thank you for being on. Uh, Nigel, where can we find you? 
Mm-hmm. Um, you can mainly find me on Twitter at Spicy Nigel, where I'm continuing my ongoing countdown until Avatar Two comes out. It is currently forty days until Avatar Two comes out. Forty days. Um, <laughs> forty days and forty nights until Avatar Two comes out. I'm in the desert. I'm in the desert of waiting for um of Avatar Two. <laughs> Avatar Two, yeah. Um, which is funny because it's the way of water. So after forty <laughs> days in the desert, I finally get some it. water. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, recently I've been tweeting about uh, the need I felt this morning to go and stand out in a moor in a torrential downpour like a brooding Victorian man for a while. <laughs> Amazing. I just I just felt the need. And I have uh, dropped the first teaser trailer for my own audio oh, yes. drama called hey. Among the Stacks. Mm. Um, so now I'm a fiction creator. Yes, you are. Uh, Very good writer. Yes. Ah, I will <laughs> not... I will not accept that. <laughs> yes, you are. Shush. Damn it, woman. Amazing. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Alika underscore Ali spelled like alleyway, cat spelled with a K. And you can find me on Instagram at Ali, A-L-L-Y underscore K underscore Keegan. You can find the podcast at HyperfixationsP on Twitter. Or at Hyperfixations Pod on Instagram, rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, be it at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on the Ning Nang Nong where the cows go bong and the monkeys all say boo, or on the Nong Nang Ning where the trees go ping and the teapots jibber jabber chew, or the Nong Ning Nang where the mice go clang and you just can't catch them when you do. If you would like to come onto the show to discuss one of your hyperfixations, please feel free to reach out at any of the aforementioned social media. If you like the show, tell a friend. If you didn't, nobody likes a fucking narc. And that is all for that is all for this week. Uh, Lou, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Signing off.